welcome to, uh, really, this is our second bookmark, but the first bookmark where I remembered to turn on the mi microphone. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Monday. <laughs> one day. So we had this idea to do this bookmark just sort of as a filler in between our episodes, but, you know, it's kind of started to become more of, we have a lot of ideas for what we can do for it. Um, you know, and we just wanted to start off uh, and explain what bookmark is. So you probably clicked on this and you're like, first time through bookmark, what is this? I don't even understand. Well, Kim is here to tell you exactly what it is. And I'm putting her on the spot right now. All righty. Well, since life has kind of gotten back to a more normal pre-COVID pace, it's hard to find time to read and record and edit every week um, to read and comprehend and record and yeah, edit every week. Because so, I could definitely breeze through some of these books, but I mean, to actually take the sticky notes that we do and like analysis and enjoy the content to a level that I feel like we have to for our own podcast, it's just not as feasible. So we need a little more time. So in the off weeks while we're still reading the material we're just going to chat about some things that are going on like um you know i have four did you know that there are three different uh, uh ways that you can read steven's words coming out in the next six months he has a short story and he has two novels coming out then he has uh um, you know there is a tv show that just came out in june just started he has another one coming out in october uh and we're also, if you, we're going to just talk about Steve's Twitter a little bit. I don't know if you are involved on Steve's Twitter, if you've ever followed Stephen King on Twitter, but you need to be. It's incredible. And we're just going to kind of recap my favorite tweets from this week. You know, there's a lot of things that we have planned for it, uh, but we wanted to uh, thank our patrons and everybody that's supported us this far. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to us. Uh, it really helps us kind of... Uh, know well, that what we're doing is uh important and worthwhile yes and and you know getting the feedback really does make it um fun the you know how our views and opinions line up with other constant readers right exactly so and i know uh i know this past week that we got a response from Jake because he was disappointed that you didn't like the body. I know. I'm sorry, Jake. I just, and you know, after re-editing and listening to the episode, I was a little harsh to it, especially as I'm like, I, I think I was a little too harsh on the fact that it had such a simple, basic plot. You know, I read that after, or um, you don't know this yet, but I finished reading Breathing Method as well. Uh, wow. It's. Oof. I haven't even finished that. That's a good. I, I, I literally sat there the whole time, and I was like, I could make a short film of this. I could do oh, this yeah, one. Absolutely. I could do this one right here in Evansville. Absolutely. Like, I know I've somebody that for a long time, oh, and I know somebody that can make a real good fake head. And it's just like it was particularly. It was a great. Um, you know, it was a really good one, and. I feel like right now we can announce that the breathing method, you know, a nice little segue, is going to be the season finale of season one for he us here at first time through. Yes. You know, figure we can wrap it up, wrap the first season up with the last season. And 
then we can move on to the second book of the Dark Tower series to begin the new season. And we're shooting for that in September, right? To make yep. it. That's what I, yeah, 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 it looks like it's going to be September, October is going to have to, you know, we might even have to figure out a way to like fit in an extra episode because uh, just with our timeline, I was trying to space it all out and it looks like if we're going to do a drawing of the three and then we're going to do eleven twenty two sixty three, and we're going to go right into it, that's exactly how it's all going to space out and everything. Yep. So, um you know, I'm really excited because uh, one of the big things I want to talk about was like his scariest novels today, just because I brought that up in the last episode. So I did a bunch of reasons. I found like 12 different lists, all from different people that are like, these are the scariest novels. And then I asked also, um, I asked all of you on uh, Facebook and I asked on Twitter and Reddit as well. And, and you know, I'm looking at the, the list that we got on Facebook and I can I concur. <laughs> a lot yeah. of the the books that were brought up are really they're scary for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there was even uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, you know, I think that that's kind of like for me that was the that's the big hitter of the episode. Like that's our like headline. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like talking yeah. about the scariest Stephen King novels. But first, I really wanted to take a second. Um, you know, we have been kind of absent over the last couple of months. And I know part of being a good podcast is being reliable. And I know that we have not been. But we wanted to let you know that we're really coming to terms with what our responsibilities are. And we're very excited to make sure that we are giving you reliable content. And we just wanted to make sure that through the last couple of months... There's been a couple of people that have still supported us and, you know, reached out and asked like, hey, like what's going on? Are you guys okay? Or when's the next episode coming out? I'm really excited. Or they explained to us why they had to drop their patronage. Um, All of them really touching and meaningful. And um, Susan, Jake, Don, Brad, Yuda, um, Ronnie. I think there's one more I'm missing. Paula. 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 Yeah. There it is. We really appreciate you guys. And it means the world to us that you are supporting us uh, financially as it has just been going for paying all of our fees that we've still accrued. Um, but also it's going, we have plans for what we want to do to improve our podcast. And we're very excited yes. about it. And we wouldn't be able to do that without you. And it genuinely means the world to us. Thank you. Um, and just in general, don't forget to go and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I've been trying to be a lot more active on the Twitter, responding to anything that anybody says about Stephen King, kind of responding to everything Stephen King says in the hopes that one day he'll just click on our thing and be like, oh, wow, the 300,000th podcast about me. Maybe this is the (laughs) one I'll listen to. Um, Right. I'm sure that that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also, we want to start, I want to get some guests in here and talk about some Stephen King things, some producers on TV shows, some uh, editors, anybody. If you know anything, like, please uh, reach out. Let us know if there's someone that you think we could talk to that we could uh, enjoy a conversation with about uh, our King, Stephen. You know that uh, we were talking about the breathing method and he frequently sells the rights for his stories if you've written a screenplay for a dollar no 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 here's my plan right 
I'm just going to make the whole on short film. It's only going to be like an hour 20. And right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just going to make it and I'm going to send it to him and be like, hey, just want to make sure it's cool that I release this and uh, see how he does. See what there he says, you know, and uh, who knows? Who knows? The breathing method is really good. Um, so I wanted to walk you through, Kim. Um, I'm sure you're aware, but I wanted to just make sure that we were all on the same page when it comes to uh, what is coming out for Steve. So what all uh, do you know about that's coming out so far? Well, I know that Billy Summers is coming out in August, next month already. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yes, it I'm is. I'm excited. And then um, I think what's pretty cool, too, I found today online there is an article about um, how... Stephen King, and so what everyone is going to hear this on the 22nd. So you're hearing this on the 22nd, five days from now, or whenever you hear this, you know, uh, on the July 27th, 2021, uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, he's going to be live streaming, reading the first, like, I don't know, chapter, it seems like. He's just going to be premiering his book online on a YouTube video. Which, that's a, that's a, he's obviously embraced the future. He's here for technology. He's not, uh, he's not George R. R. Martin in it. Well, I mean, I can't even say that. George R. R. Martin is doing press releases and stuff, I guess, but he's definitely not out there embracing writing. the internet this wholeheartedly. Yeah, he's definitely not out there writing. Whatever he's writing is definitely not a song of ice and fire, that's for sure. Right? No, he's, he's definitely. <clears throat> he's done with that one. He, he, is. he he let, let the TV the, show finish it. He finish saw how how much Poor everyone life. hated the ending. And you know what I was thinking about? What if that ending is word for word what George R. R. Martin told them, and they did it to the T, and they just don't want to like throw this guy under the bus, right? And so, oh, no. and no, so no. they're like they phoned it in because they got hired oh, to do Star Wars. I know that that's the real truth, <laughs> but I do imagine like what if, and that's why George R. R. Martin just hasn't written the books now. It's because he's just imagining this world where he puts out exactly what happened in the TV show, and everybody just lambasts him, just loathes him. I mean, that's I mean, I do feel to do anyway. This is a very yeah. This is I will say one big tangent like spoilers for the end of the season eight of Game of Thrones if you have not watched it and you don't need Never to. Your ears. Don't worry about it. Honestly, it's, <laughs> it's really awful. <laughs> watch the season six, season finale of six is crazy. It's awesome, and then watch whatever episodes of season seven. I think it's like what like two and three have really good ratings, and they're the only two yeah. worth watching. Like, and, then, and then that's it. Just say, okay. That was the end of it. Over. Wow. That was the end of it. Wow. Um, <laughs> and make up your own ending because I assure you it will be better. <laughs> so spoilers. I do feel, though, that in a novel, he'll be able to better capture um, uh, Danny's descent into the anger. Right. I, yeah. I mean, because that was obviously what they were trying to portray was that she was losing all of her control and that was and and she was she was going insane and, I, and, and it was coming out in anger and it was it was just it was so rushed you couldn't see it yeah and i think that if they would have just given her more chances to be morally gray throughout that final season mm -hmm. instead of presenting her as like 
you know, uh, we'll talk about this next week, but, you know, in the eyes of the dragon, he talks about the force of the white that is just destined to come and do good. And right. so for like seven, eight seasons, they portrayed Dan Daenerys as this character. And then halfway through, she's like, LOL, nah. And it was, it was very frustrating, to say the least. Yeah, it really was. And, and I was super angry, but whatever. What are you going to do? Not watch it ever again. That's what I'm going to do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, here's but, what we know, got. I know, that, I know that a lot of people felt similar to how we feel about George R. R. Martin not finishing because they were afraid he was going to die when, when our main man was writing the Dark Tower series because, you know, there was a huge, huge gap between... Uh, book two, no, no, book one and two, and then between books three and four, there was another big gap. So, you know, maybe we'll actually get it, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, uh, Time of Wheel, the Wheel of Time the Wheel series, of time. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you know, you, the main guy dies halfway through it, and then Brandon Sanderson's just like, I finish it, don't worry. Like, right, right. Well, I mean, because he had his outlines and he had his stuff. I'm just pitching know. this right now. Rick Royerden. Rick Royerden from the Percy Jackson series. He's the one that I want to finish A Song of Ice and Fire, if anything happens. That's just my pitch. I'm sure there's other ones. There's probably better ones. But hmm. I think that Rick Royerden could do it. Okay. I'm going to have to take your word on that because I still haven't read those books. I know. You need to. They're great. I know. I know. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to tell you though, we have Billy Summers coming out in August, mm -hmm. right? And then after that, uh, we have his, uh, so I found this morning, uh, just perusing through Steve's website. Um, he does have, uh, oh, this was in October, 2020. I thought it was upcoming. Uh, in an issue of Esquire, he had a short story called Unslide in Road. Um, and I thought, uh, it was coming out in October, October, but it came out last October in an issue of Esquire. Um, and I just, uh, completely missed it. Also, Lizzie's story starts in yeah, June. I yeah. I, I haven't watched any of that. Started yet. in June. Started in June. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I have this little excerpt to play for you that I wanted you to, uh, hear. So I hope you are ready. Are you ready to I'm listen? Ready. All right, ready. here it comes. Oh, that's Lisa's real loud. story's my favorite. It always has been. At its core, this is a love story. Oh, that's so much better. That was really loud. A woman's courage who would do almost anything to save her husband's life and sanity. Lisi is a different thing for me. It's very close to my heart. I had pneumonia around the year 2000 and came really close to stepping out. When I came home from the hospital, my wife had cleaned out my study and I thought to myself, I've died. I'm a ghost. And the idea for Lucy's story came from that, particularly the idea that writers, when they make things up, they go to a different world. 
I wanted to tell the story that was in the book, but I wanted to make it better. I thought if somebody was going to mess it up, I used to tell my wife, nobody's going to mess it up but me. And that was where, like, I ended up stopping it. Uh, just because I didn't want to get any more spoilers or anything. But isn't that sound yeah. fantastic? That really does sound fantastic. And it's it's been a while since I've read Lisey's story, but I really enjoyed it. I, I really remember enjoying how strong Lisey was in the story. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to get back to it. Um, you know, I, I tend to have a lot more... <laughs> A lot more downtime uh, where I will listen to books um, and so I've been re-listening to a lot of books and that one's high on my list of I'm gonna re-listen to it even before we get around to it because it's been a while and I'd like to have it fresh in my mind when I sit down to watch the show um, no absolutely and I think uh, I don't know part of me kind of wants to watch it before I read the book and like do a reverse on that one Hmm. And just see like what if this if he's really trying to make the TV show that much better, right? Is it actually better? And well, and and you know it's so hard to make visual media better in my mind, better than a written media because of the limitations. Yeah, there's a lot more to say the least. You know, there's only so many things you can do with special effects. There's only so many things that you can do with the time constraints that you have, you've got. And so in my opinion, it's really hard to make a visual media format as good or better than the written format. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, like, I'm excited, though, because I feel like... Stephen King will be someone because it seemed like he was like really on set for a lot of it for this one. He couldn't just not be there. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see just how involved he was and what that changed and didn't change. Like after everything comes out and after we find out more about it, like he'll, I'm sure it'll be a little bit more like, yeah, King was on site and he would be like, no, it's actually like this. Or if he'll be like, no, I like what you're doing. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I feel like that this will be a definite more productive being on set than um, the last movie that he directed, which I know he's not directing this one, but he directed Maximum Overdrive, which was adapted from an 11-page short story called Trucks that's in Night Shift. And it was, it's frankly a terrible movie. We need to watch that movie immediately. Yeah, I I want to watch it so badly. <laughs> I mean, but he'll tell you that when he was directing that movie, first of all, he had no idea what he was doing because it was the first thing he directed, and he was so strung out on drugs. It's it's a terrible movie. Well, now I'm gonna watch it for sure. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. There was one more thing too that's coming out that I thought was pretty cool. Um. And it comes out. Oh, there's one more. Uh. Okay, so I'm just doing them kind of in like order of how they come out, right? So after Billy Summers, we have uh, uh, oh, and by the way, um, Lizzie's story is already out on Apple TV. You can go watch it now. I think there's like six or seven episodes out. In fact, no, actually, I think I think, so, yeah. I think it's over. I think the final like the last episode of the first season's already out. So 
go check it out. Let us know how it is. Uh, tell me, it, honestly, we're going to post it up on, I'm going to post a question up on Facebook. Should I watch it first or should I read the book? I feel like uh, it's pointless to ask all of you. You're all going to say read the book first. I know all of you too well. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes didn't like Lisey's story. Well, I mean. The first episode aired on June 4th and there are six episodes. So. According to Rotten Tomatoes, though, uh, what is it? Bearing, or no, Barrington, the bear movie, Corduroy Paddington. Bear. Paddington 2 is the best movie of all time. And we'll give in. <laughs> It's adorable and it's incredible. I don't know about the yeah. best movie of all time. Yeah, but IMDb doesn't really care for it either. So we'll see. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, we're not a movie discussion podcast yet. That's One true. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, I mean, and and the fact of the matter is, is, there are a lot of people, and and to a degree, I am that person. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Notifications. Um. <laughs> And it's really funny because it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. <laughs> it's Jake. He just finished Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's all I'm going to say because I'm not going to. I don't know. All I know is it's about a zombie dog. So It's not a zombie dog. It's a dog that has rabies. <laughs> zombie dog. Same thing. Zombie dog. Okay. Um, um, but af- book purists aren't are probably not going to like a whole lot of the movies. And I'm trying really hard because that's who I used to be. I'm trying really hard to understand. And as I have gotten more involved in theater, it has helped me understand that, you know, there's a, there's a perspective brought to it from another source and they're retelling the story from yeah, a, I'll just a say slightly like... different perspective. And so I'm, I'm really it has changed the way I watch movies based on books. What is the point of shooting a movie shot for shot based off of a book? That seems pointless to me. It seems like you're just going to like, why don't you just read the book then? I mean, yeah. Yeah. But on like, the other hand, I would absolutely watch 12 years of the gunslinger shot, shot for shot. <laughs> I don't know, dude, you say that, but you got to realize that's going to be like two and a half hours of him sitting in the desert doing nothing but eating like leaves. Yeah. 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 I like, guess that could be a montage. <laughs> or imagine like Harry Potter 7, then it's not two parts. And then in the first part, they're actually camping for another, you know, four months. Right. Like, you know, you feel like you got a lot of camping in the first one. Like, imagine if they would have done it shot for shot from the book, because there's twice as much camping. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. Camping is basically school in that book. And, right. uh, you know, I think that that's the, for me, that's what I always if you did something shot for shot, it would probably end up just defeating the purpose of creating the movie because then there's right. nothing like special to do with the movie itself. I don't know. It's a, it's like, and I think that that's, what's interesting about turning movies or books into movies is like, that's the debate. It opens up is do right. you just go ahead? And, well, and the other thing about, you know, creating a movie from a book is I really feel like that they should be like required to actually read the book. <laughs> the director should actually be required to read the book because and and if it's a series of books they need to re- read the series of books because choices that are made that affect later things are super frustrating um 
But I'm, I imagine you're talking about the gunslinger, which I haven't seen yet. Well, and, and not just the gunslinger. I mean, literally any book. Um, for example, in the Harry Potter books, you know, there were characters that were never introduced that were important in the story later. And I was like, well, now you just have to give that work to somebody else because, you know, that character was actually important. Um, for example, Creature. I mean... Yeah, and they end up just shoehorning him in later. I think that yeah. it's, when it comes to movies, it's just, it's a lot easier when you're writing to just be like, there was 300,000 people there. And then right. when you get to the movie and you're like, all right, now we have to hire 300,000 extras. Well, and I don't know that we need 300,000 extras, but... I'm just, I'm being hyperbolic, I, I, I'm sorry. Right, but I'm just saying, if if the the director, if the screenwriter and the director have read the complete story and can jive on the fact that you know there are certain characters that you can you know combine or leave out or whatever but there are some characters you have to have and there are some plot points that have to be there to forward the story later and right. you know they skip those plot points and i'm like wait a minute wait a minute you gotta have that because that's gonna affect this and that's gonna affect the other thing and I think that's what drives me crazy about most movie adaptations is that, you know, there are major plot points that are just left out. And then you have to make up something else that isn't remotely close to the story, the original story, because you left this major plot point out 20 minutes ago. Right. And it's like if you would have just included that, you wouldn't have had to make something up later. Right. And it did, you know, and, and a lot of times it could just be something that was talked about I, I think it's interesting too to look at timing when you look at that kind of stuff too because uh for example in the heights the movie just came out mm-hmm. and when that was adapted from i know this is the exactly the same thing but when it was adapted from stage to screen they changed a lot of the overall story including mm-hmm. like taking out a mother character completely yeah. um but it was kind of to update it because the mother character in that way she was you know in the when we're looking at her now from a 2021 point of mindset in 2009, I guess, you know, it's wild to like look at how much language and society has changed in like 15 years and how, you know, you're watching the first seasons of it's always sunny or arrested development and they'll go on and on and say like the R word and all of these. And it's cringy. And and you're just sitting there like, Oh guys, like, Oh, the office, the office is the worst about that. I'm like, yeah, the office, the office. Oh, friends, friends hasn't aged well either. Real bad. No. Yeah. But, um, well, and I think too, you know, uh, well, man, I forgot what I was, the point I was making. I forgot where I was going. Like, when we div- in the Heights. In the Heights. Oh, in the Heights. Character. They changed so much. They took out the mom character, but it was to update it. And she was very toxic and she was very mm-hmm. controlling and manipulative, but she wasn't a bad person. She was only seen as a good person. So, it, you know, it set off this very bad, it, it really gives you a very bad vibe of like what parenting should be. So they took her entire character out. They rewrote an entire frame story and they added a bunch of stuff that wasn't in it. Um, and they even took out some of the more uh, the lines that were racially insensitive, mm-hmm. but and they just updated it in that way. And I think that right. the same can be said for some of these things too. Um, like I feel like if you were to update and do like a modern, more updated version of Stand by Me, like yeah, it's set in the fifties, but you're gonna still change a lot of that language just so that way you actually get people to come see your movie. Right. I yeah, I agree. And 
I mean, even the the movie from the 80s was updated from the story to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, we just so, got to have a... No, the, okay, I just decided this part of our... Uh, the bookmark is just called The Movie Corner, where we're just going to talk about the movies and stuff for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, and I'm sorry, just that had just that means brain we have blaster. to actually watch the movies. <laughs> yeah, we have to. Well, I mean, we, we, can, we can just talk about them coming out too. But uh, to get back even more on track, to get all the way back on track, Billy Summers is coming out, and um, um, Wisey's story came out already. And then there was that short story in October that I just found out about. And then also there's another TV show coming out that starts in August called Chapel yeah. Way. It's based yeah. on Jerusalem's lot. Um, I don't know anything about Jerusalem's lot, um, but it does have Adrian Brody and Emily Hampshire in it. And, you know, um, set in the 1850s, the series follows Captain Charles Boone, who relocates his family of three children to his ancestral home in the small, seemingly sleepy town of Preacher's Corner, Maine, after his wife dies at sea. And that's all I read, just because I didn't want to spoil much of it. Uh, I just mm-hmm. wanted to get, like, the idea. I think it's fun, like, a period piece in 1850s sounds interesting. Jerusalem's Law, I remember uh, just off of all the stuff that I've learned about Steve, is a vampire story. So, mm-hmm. be interesting, you know? Hmm? Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm Adrian I'm Brody? Intrigued. Vampires? Adrian Brody, okay. yeah. I'm, I like I'm intrigued. That. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. And, and it's on Epics? Mm-hmm. starting uh, august 22nd august 22nd so i'm pretty excited about that and then um one final thing that it looks uh that just got announced recently is uh stephen king and richard chismar are at it again they're writing another novel called gwendy's final task um i think what it's, it seems like wendy is a dude and girl. uh as a girl mm-hmm. um is a and they are uh this is like what the fourth novel now or something like I that. I think it's the third one. The I third think it's one. Wendy's button box, Wendy's magic feather, and and then this one. Um, I didn't. I don't really. I, you know, I don't know anything about anything in this series. Um, I also like vaguely know of Richard Chismar. Uh, I think he's another like uh, suspense writer or something, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's actually fairly active in several of the Stephen King groups that we're in. Um, I actually just purchased another one of his books, and I have an autographed copy of it coming. So I'm That's pretty excited cool. about that. All right. Um, well, Richard Chismer, we're excited. To, uh, you know, I was I, we got to get Gwendy in here then if we got something coming out too. Mm-hmm. Um, in Gwendy's final task, horror giants Stephen King and Richard Chismar take us on a journey from Crassel Rock to another famous cursed main city to the FMF1 space station, where Gwendy must execute a secret mission to save the world and make. Maybe all worlds. Mm-hmm. So definitely it sounds like, you know, uh, we're playing with some like doors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, another famous cursed main city, probably Derry. We can just uh, imagine that it's Derry and Castle Rock. I mean, there's only like, what, three cities in Maine, according to Steve, <laughs> according, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be Banger. Um, and it looks like that is everything that we have coming out for Steve. Yep, and that's pretty exciting. Like, uh, I have not read the second Gwendy book, but the first one, Gwendy's Button Box, um, she's on, Gwendy's only 12 at the start of the story, and it's really, um, 
it's a, it's more suspense than scary to me. Um, right, but it right. was really a great story and it's an easy read. It's, it's a novella. Um, you know, it could definitely be one of our little one-off episodes because you could probably read it in a couple of evenings around work. Cause, right. But it's a really good story. It's really engaging. In other news, speaking of engaging, Kurt and I started listening to The Bridge again yesterday. Joe's mm, book. Yeah. Kurt's like, oh, or not yesterday, Thursday, when we were driving down uh, for our trip. And he's like, my God, this is really good. I was like, I told you. It yeah, was really it's great. Good. He did he's such like, a good job with that. It's, and, and Alex is just such a great reader. And Kurt is super into it. So, um, you know, if, if our constant listeners, if you haven't checked that out yet, definitely go check out Joe. You Google's have to. Book, it's the, so good. The Bridge. It's so good. Um, and it's on Apple Books and it's on Amazon. Anywhere and Audible. You, Audible. Anywhere where you're going to buy a, a print book or an audio book, it's out there. And if you don't have the extra money to buy it, go check your local library. And if they don't have it, ask them to get it. It's real cool. good. It's worth it. Yeah. Cool fact is uh, you can go to your local library and you can get subscriptions or memberships for like online book services. And usually mm -hmm. you can rent it either the um, full thing there or you can get, uh, you know, the audiobook there as well. Yeah, like Libby and Overdrive. There, There's all kinds of services out there and they're really I will, great. I'm so. pretty sure too that um, Joe has put up the bridge for free on his YouTube channel. Joe Leaguer's yes. comma author slash musician. And you can listen to the whole thing there or at least get a taste of it and make sure that it is something that you want to buy. Um, if you do, just definitely buy a copy. That is the best way that you can support him. It's a trilogy. There's going to be more. He already has release dates uh, and he's working on them now. I imagine it's he's probably. Like I think it's October of mm -hmm. this year and April and then, of next year. Yep. Something like that. That's the release schedule. And to be honest, it, it seems he's. Just knowing him personally, he's got it all done and he's editing oh, yeah, it, it's, tweaking it's, it, and mm -hmm. he's perfecting it as we go. Uh, and I'm excited to finish the story. Max is the best character, like, hands I down. love Max. Max is I the love best, Max. like, Max is brilliant, and it was so and so fun and interesting. And he's this magic AI, oh, beautiful. Um, and uh, I like, uh, yeah. I just really enjoy this novel a lot, and I don't want to talk like spoil too much of it for anybody. Uh, just go read it, go read it, go read it, go read it. Um, and then I feel like now is the perfect time for us. We're gonna have to jump right into Stephen's Twitter. Do you do you follow Stephen King on Twitter? I do, but okay. I'm terrible at Twitter. So uh, while I do follow him, I don't usually check my Twitter. Uh, but I did pull it up so that I could see it. Except that now I don't. Oh, yep, yeah, there we go. So okay. this is a good two-parter from uh, a couple days ago where he says, yo, you, hint, <laughs> I may be old, but I can still walk the dog. Uh, and uh, he's talking about, he did a live Q&A where somebody asked him if he's still good with the yo-yo. And then he's sitting there and he's on, he did like a whole session like where he was yo-yoing. And then uh, just a couple minutes later, he goes, yo, yo, not yo, you. I may be old, yeah. but I can still commit typos. Commit just typos. brilliant awareness, Steve. Yeah. Uh, and I, Stephen King's Twitter is just brilliant. And he's somebody too. like he's very vocal on Twitter mm -hmm. um, and, and not shy about what he believes in. 
Right. Exactly. Um, he's going through an effort to see a movie, a, ma- a movie made from every year from 1961 to 2021. And it looks like he's in 2010 because he just watched Up and The Way Back. Um, Up, the brilliant movie from Disney Pixar about the, uh, the, the kids with the old man with the balloons. And I've never seen it. What? Up is brilliant. Yeah. It's so good. Um, it's real fun. Uh, I mean, I say that and then like, you know, the first 15 minutes are particularly mortifying. Uh, right. I, it, yeah, <laughs> I just haven't been able to bring myself to, uh, to watch it yet. It's really good. It's worth it. I mean, I've if you want to like, but I also heard that it's going to make nowhere. me cry and I should oh, definitely it's not that bring bad. my Kleenex. <laughs> if, I don't know. Have we uh, met? I cry about a lot of things. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But you can just like, just remember, just detach yourself for the first 15 minutes and then nothing else is sad. Like there's okay. some really cute heartwarming moments towards the end that really get me and make me happy. Um, but I mean, it's nowhere near it. Like, I mean, do you cry at Coco? Coco is the real sadness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I sobbed. Oof, oh, Coco. Or the fox and the hound. It. Oh, yeah. Those, those are the time. two love upper echelon movie. of, like, if I need to sob today, those are two of the movies that I'm going to put in. I'm going to put in Coco, and I'm just going to cry. Uh, remember me every... I'm tearing up right now just thinking about remember me. Uh, yeah. Or the fox and the hound when the old ladies just... Spoilers for the fox and the hound, a movie from 1994. Um, uh, when the, um, the, hey, Otto. Fox and the Hound's a lot older than that. <laughs> no, it's not. The Disney version? Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yeah. No. Yes. There's no way. 1967. It was released no. in 19... Loosely based on the 1967 novel. It was released in 1981. Okay, 1981. Because I remember Damn. seeing Fox and the Hound when I was a kid. Okay, okay, okay. I'm a liar. So in that <laughs> spoilers I mean, just for it, it a movie out, from it, 1981. It came out again me. when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, probably knowing Disney. Um, mm-hmm. But she just drives away and like just leaves Tom or um, the little fox behind. Gets me every mm-hmm. time. Um, and it was just it, it was a killer. It was great. Um, and to be honest, like, you know, uh, I want you guys to go and look at Steve's Twitter and send us which ones you think are his best tweets. Um, uh, you know, one that he just posted that makes me laugh. He says, now we're sucking diesel. If you don't get it, you missed a great series. I have no idea what series he's talking about. But I it have is, no idea. Uh, it was a funny, funny tweet. So I'm looking at the one here from June 6th. Some, he shared Meg Gardner's post uh, at Meg Gardner one. Um, my son sends, quote, how do they how they do the Dewey Decimal in Maine? Unquote. Uh, Real books get the red balloon at Stephen King. And it's a chalkboard above a bookshelf that says Stephen King with a red balloon and then in parentheses and other fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're in Maine, like, I feel like that's got to be every library, right? I, right? I mean, I imagine well, like if you're I mean, from I'm Maine. I'm thinking that if, if you're in Maine, he's probably donated to your library. So you probably need at least something. I'm thinking uh, either if you are from Maine, you hate this man because he's everywhere. And like in just like like the smallest weirdest places, I bet too. Like you just drive yeah. through Maine, and you're like, oh, Stephen King once sat here and like drank a cup of coffee while he wrote this book, or mm-hmm. like something like that. And you just like can't stand seeing him. Or every single time you're like taking a picture for your Snapchat, and you're just like, oh my god, 
another one. I found a landmark. Um, and I don't feel like there's any in between. Uh, there's There can't be for me. I refuse to I, believe in the gray. I feel like that if you have any kind of library or educational not-for-profit in Maine, you probably love him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I know that, uh, that he and Tabitha really are... Uh, very philanthropic in that way and they support a lot of a lot of things so uh, something that came up something else that came up this week that he does that uh, a lot of people apparently don't know about do you know he owns a radio station i did not what radio station does he own um it's wzon you can actually listen to it online it's a lot of fun um it's you know, obviously not a corporate-owned radio station, so the programming is really great. Um, when I worked in an office, I used to listen to it all the time. That's cool. Oh, here's a good tweet. It says, I reached the end of the internet. There's a sign that says, Welcome to Oblivion, Beyond Just the Dark. Yeah, I honestly believe it. That was, sorry, that wasn't as good as I thought it was. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm you know. sorry, it's W. It's WKIT, the Zone Radio. Oh yeah, he um, just. I just saw a tweet that he retweeted from them. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's Stephen King's Rock and Roll Station, 100.3, now in HD. Oh, anyway, I like I said when I used to work in an office, I would stream it, and because I enjoyed the music selection. Obviously, we kind of have a similar music taste. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um. And, uh, you know, go look at Steve's Twitter. Send us, go through some of them, find some of the doozies. Let us know. We're going to come back. I'm going to come back with a couple of doozies, I know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to go into talking about Stephen King's scariest novel. I've got like four different books lists pulled up. I've got the Reddit post pulled up. I have our Facebook post pulled up. Um, and Kim, just before we do all that, what is the scariest novel to you? What what is do you think is Steve's scariest novel? Okay, so the scariest novel to me when I read it the first time was it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was okay. I was twelve. I got it for Christmas. I read it over Christmas break, um, and the way our house was set up. You actually had to go entirely through our dining room to turn the light on for the dining room. Okay. And in the dining room, there was a sliding glass door. And so it was really dark in that part of the house because it was also a privacy fence. And you know, so there just wasn't a whole lot of light in that little stretch of room there. And you had to go all the way through it to turn the light on. I wouldn't go in the dining room at night. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So when I read it, it terrified me. Uh, wouldn't even go in the dark dining room. Totally, totally. Um, I read Christine when I was pregnant with my oldest son, and we lived just down from a corner. And so when people would turn the corner, their lights would shine across our living room window, which shined directly into my bedroom. I hated the layout there. But anyway, um, and every time a car would turn the corner and I'd be in that kind of vague between wake and asleep um it scared me because you know christine was coming to get me um but i think really the scariest for me is probably pet cemetery 
Pet Cemetery. Okay, okay. I think it has been the one that has scared me in a different way every time I've read it. Um, you know, when I read it when I was young, you know, one aspect scared me. And then when I read it when I was a little older, and I feel like this is... Um, no, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it. But when I read it was when I was a little bit older and I had kids, it scared me in a different way. Which um, one? Pet Cemetery. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So I think that it has been the one that has been most consistently scary to me. Um, but I think I that was a, that's a really hard question because it's so it's such a different experience for everybody that. And everybody's scared of different things. Right. So I think that all of these lists are going to be scary for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think gonna I'm be... going to 100% disagree with any of them. Well, okay, so the three lists I have pulled up right now, right, is from uh, a website. I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant to use this one because I don't really know it, but we'll use it anyways. It's called Bustle. I've never used this website before. The other one is called CBR, which is a comic book resource website that I've used very often. And the other one is the Barnes & Noble's uh, reviews or like voter-selected mm-hmm. scariest stories. So Bustle, Bustle's a good site. I've used it. So okay, okay. I feel like that's a solid list. Um, all right. So you know, we'll just look at the top three in each. So for Bustle... The the scariest the number three book that they have, The Shining, mm-hmm. and you know we're gonna we see a lot of The Shining on these lists. We see a lot of it, um, and it's interesting. Uh, after you know, and I'll talk about this uh, in our finale episode with the breathing method. There was an afterword that I read after I finished breathing method where he talks about a conversation he had with his um, editor about being pigeonholed as a horror writer. And he was like, you know, if that's what the people want, that's what I'll give them. And, you know, and he specifically points out, he's like, you're doing this uh, telepathic girl. You're doing this haunted hotel. Then you're going to do this vampire book. Like, you're going to get pigeonholed. And he's like, well, that's what people keep buying. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that a lot of these scarier novels are from the 70s and 80s just because that's when he was really trying to scare people and, like, really, like, make a name for himself. Right, right. And then once he, you know, got established and and could kind of call his own shots, we got, we get a very different perspective of things. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I was thinking, uh, too, when you go over to the uh, CBR, they have uh, the third scariest is Black House. Um, See, it's been ages since I read that. I do remember those being scary, but. It's, it's been a long time. The sequel to The Talisman. Um, mm-hmm. um, apparently, you know, it says to... It's co-written with Peter Straub. Yeah. And he's got a lot of allusions to The Dark Tower in that one, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it what... Uh, a, one of the touchstone novels. And the three... Number three most terrifying um, Barnes & Noble. Do you think this is a good... Is this confusing? Should I go one, two, three in, in each one instead? Mm-hmm. No, I think this is fine. Okay, number so. three for Barnes & Noble is it's specific. It says most of Skeleton Crew. So it's saying the collection Skeleton Crew is particularly terrifying, at least most of it. Um, 
And I like that uh, it doesn't give you any real like spoilers or anything, but it does say the most blood curdling moment on the Barnes and Noble website. And for Skeleton Crew, it says it's longer than you think, Dad. Longer than you think. Uh, I've never read any of the stories in a Skeleton Crew, so that is a particularly out of context, hilarious blood curdling moment. Um, at least, yeah. If- as far as short stories go, there's a short story in Skeleton Crew called The Survivor Type. Oof. It's it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. Okay, okay. Cool. I'm excited to we'll we'll get into all this stuff. So it's just fun to like look at look at the future essentially. Mm-hmm. Alright, so going back to Bustle. Number two on the bustle list is Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot's one that we've been trying to make space in our uh repertoire for a minute i'm i really want to read salem's lot mm-hmm. um and i you know i'm sure a lot of you are like Otto, why don't you want to read carrie and it's just because like last year i saw a musical about it and it's like still fresh in my mind so i kind of want to wait for it to like die down a little bit i also just love the soundtrack to the musical carrie so i've listened to it a couple of times <laughs> you know i still haven't seen that oh it's brilliant i, I, I like missed it so it much civic did it and i'm real sad that i missed it it's a fun show um, i heard that Number two over here on CBR Comic Book Resources is Salem's Lot. Um, And, you know, Salem's Lot is what happens when he took Jerusalem's Lot and made it a full move or novel, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Because I know it's set in the same town or something like that or whatever. Yeah, Jerusalem's Lot is a short story, and I want to say it is also in Night Shift. And... Um, it's maybe 20, 25 pages. I don't think it's very long at all. Uh, and it's a good, it's a good teaser story, but Salem's Lot, I think that the short story was, I'm sure written first, but not published in a mass release situation until much Mm -hmm. later. But, uh, Salem's Lot is a really... I mean, it's Stephen King does vampires and there are a lot of scary things about it. And that was one that popped up on our Facebook list. And I started to answer something and I was like, no, can't spoil that. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't. No spoilers, please. Um, You guys are really great about on our Facebook, not spoiling things so far. So it's been awesome. Thank you. Um, Number two over here at Barnes and Noble, The Shining. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't read the book. I know very little. I've seen some images, and I know a lot of, like, the artwork from it. Um, And a lot of the memes, of course. Right. Uh, But other than that, I don't know anything about The Shining. And I think it'll be fun when we get into the Danny Torrance series in the the winter this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and The Shining is a really great Again, again, it's scary in a different way. And that's one that I saw the movie way sooner than I should have ever seen the movie. I was probably only six or seven. And I was watching it through the door while the adults were watching it in the other room. I was not supposed to be watching it. And um, it terrified me. And so, you know, I know a lot of people have a lot of... that, that. Stephen King himself has a lot of hate for the Kubrick movie. Um, and again, if I'm going to separate the, the different media, the Shining movie, the Kubrick Shining movie is a beautiful piece of art. It is not the same story. 
Isn't like half of the shining about like what's going on in Danny Torrance's head? It's about what's going on in Jack Torrance's head. Danny's or Jack dad. Torrance's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just so feel like again, if, we've talked about this a ton. It's so hard to portray that. Yeah, and like I was thinking because it just made me think of Misery. Because if you would have did a shot by shot version of Misery, that would have just been like three hours of Paul Sheldon laying in a bed thinking. Right. And like no, I wouldn't watch that. No. No, no thank no. you. But it was um, beautifully adapted, and, you know. Kathy Bates terrified me. <laughs> oh, Kathy Bates so good. Uh um so that's number 2 on Barnes and Noble. So now we're going to go to Bustle and we're going to hit their number 1. And uh you know, it is it, it, you see it everywhere. We all know it. We all love it. It is the thing that got me interested in any of this. It's it. Um, that's number one on Bustle. It, mm-hmm. um, and and you know they give the reason. It, the reason it tops the list of Stephen King's scariest book. It is about horror incarnate. You know, yeah. and and that makes sense. You know, it's literally about like a thing that wants to scare you, so that way it can eat you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, I, uh that's a it's a I good have one. A theory about I have a theory. It's real out there. Only I don't know that it's entirely real out there. I think that Monsters, Inc. at the beginning, the scaring the kids to get their energy is loosely inspired by it. I can see that for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, uh, like even the way that uh, that overall arc of the movie where it goes from they scare them for energy to making them laugh for energy reminds me of a clown in some mm-hmm. ways, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I can. Yeah, and I can see that. And I mean, like, you know, at the end of Stephen King's It, they finish the monster off with love and all that. And you know that's kind of like ah I see that okay okay anyway we'll have to we'll have to and get I know the that there, and I know producers. that there are some there are some people over at Pixar that are King fans oh there has to be well yeah because like in Toy Story Sid's carpet is the same pattern as the Shining carpet that's nice that's good that's a nice little anyway. detail because then they even have yeah. the little tricycler uh huh <laughs> um that's great so then we move over to CBR number one on that list is it um and uh yeah that doesn't surprise you um just you know yeah all the reasons we just said their reasoning uh it is just the most popular um and it is particularly chilling uh, and they just kind of do a summary there so they don't really go into any of the reasons why they think it's scariest there um i will say obviously it's a toss-up between if The Shining or if It is more popular. I would say, in a modern context, It is more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there is the remake of The Shining, isn't there? Or... Yeah, there was a made-for-TV miniseries that uh, Stephen Weber played, Jack Torrance. Um, and while it was more, it was closer to the book, I didn't think that it had the same intensity and so it it kind of missed the mark for me um because it didn't have the same it because of what we talked about it's really hard to portray what's going on in somebody's mind um yeah so it just didn't have the intensity um i'd be interested if they remade that 
more recently would be interested in that but also you know there's just such a movement for people to not remake movies anymore yeah and i feel that yeah. like that makes Although, sense to me i would have to say that um i really appreciated mike flanagan's um vision with dr sleep and i wouldn't be upset to see him remake the shining because he's he's passionate about it and he he really is into the story could you imagine that that he could do a really good job with it yeah and could you imagine if they remake the shining and then they have james mcavoy play jack torrance see i think that in my opinion i would like to see somebody who doesn't play insane as a typecast. Do you think James McAvoy plays insane as a typecasting? I've seen him play several things where he's crazy. And I just want to see somebody who, I mean, I don't know. Somebody who's not played that character type at all ever. Um, you know, just something really ridiculous so that you can show the progression of the insanity and not have this already um, baseline perception that this guy plays and this guy plays crazy, which is why I think that part of the thing with Jack Nicholson is, you know, he had recently recently done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when he did uh, The Shining, and so he already had a baseline of perception of this guy plays crazy. Hmm, I see what you're saying. I think that hmm, I understand what you're saying, and I make it that way. Like it makes the focus a lot more on the hotel. Instead of on the actor. Right. Right. It, it, and it gives you the opportunity for the actor to portray the descent. Neat. Is that like your main criticism of the Shining movie then? Is that? Yes. Yes. Because the story is more about Jack's descent and and you'll we'll get there. So I'm not I'm not going to go into any real big details, but it's it's more about the descent and the effect of the hotel. And in the Kubrick film, you get you get Jack being insane basically from the first ten minutes of the show. And I'm like, and again, separating the 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 two media forms it's a great movie and the you know the baseline to where he ends up is is pretty dramatic but it's it's just different i i don't i don't i just feel I, like i'm excited to get into it we'll have to when we get into it this winter like and we read through it and we watch the movie i'll be able to have a more informed mm-hmm. opinion but the shining I, is terrifying <laughs> number one on barnes and noble is pet cemetery actually Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, you know, it is number four on this one. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm I looking think... at that list too. And man, I actually don't disagree with their list. It's, it's solid. <laughs> yeah. The Barnes and Noble one. Yeah. I mean, um, I actually scrolled through all of the lists and, and none of them are, again, it's a perception thing and, and it's a point of view thing. None of them are wrong because all of the lists have, the scariest books for different reasons so i don't know that any of them's wrong for me the scariest book that we've read so far is misery 
Um, and, you know, it's nice to see it on all these lists. And I'm like, yeah, I thought so. Like, it's terrifying. And then over on Facebook, where we asked the same question, we got another 20 comments. Um, and I think, too, a lot of the ones here were, they gave us a little bit of an answer, which I liked. Kate says, mm-hmm. ask a mom. It's the short story, the breathing method for me. Um, and now that you've read that, can you see I, why that's her answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. It does. Um <laughs> I not I didn't find the breathing method very scary at all. I thought it was a like a super cool power of like superhuman like strength. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like a very positive. I thought it was a weirdly like horrifyingly positive way to go out. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really liked it a lot. I like that I one too. so much. I it's so too. good. I, I've been telling you for almost a year. That now that's that we'll the best that, one in there. So yeah. Um, Kathy. Uh, says i'm trying to remember gerald's game been a while since i read it pound cemetery wasn't that bad it, it certainly sticks in my head read it twice um loved mr mercedes the last one i listened to was the institute more weird than scary um she still votes for it yeah uh, that's paula's mom okay uh that's awesome Just i think for perspective it, okay uh thank you for listening and repo- uh, responding kathy i think uh it does seem very scary. I'm excited to get into that one. Mr. Mm-hmm. Mercedes, dude, that series seems very interesting. I think it'd be really yeah. cool. And and it's it's um it's a departure because it's it's more of a crime thriller. Um, but again, we talked. You know, I said it earlier. Once he got to where he could make enough money to make his own decisions, and he wasn't worried about selling books anymore and raising babies and all that. You know, he wrote what he wanted to write, and people still read it. You know, he still sells millions and millions of copies of everything he writes. Oh, yeah. So. Um, Aaron uh, alludes to Pet Cemetery. It gets my vote because it was the first one I read and the only book to ever really creep me out. And mm-hmm. that's what I want. I want something to scare. I want something to creep me out. And I will say, like, now that I'm thinking back on it, there were some parts of Misery, like, where I was reading up late at night because we were trying to get those first few episodes done and we weren't sure, mm-hmm. like, figuring stuff out. Uh there is some Sorry, like they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I will, we'll come back to misery one day. Uh, just start in the stand because in the stand is when we figure things out. Um, and it uh, it spooked me some more than I like really think I realized. See, I think the, the thing that makes misery scary for a lot of people is that it's not supernatural. It's not. Yeah. It's like we talked about it a ton when we were recording those episodes that it could happen to you. It, this could happen. This is like a legitimate, you know, you do have to be like a really famous weird. writer and everything. There is I a mean, couple of like caveats, with, with, but still stances, but this could happen. Absolutely. And it's just that I feel like that is what makes that one so terrifying. And I think for a lot of people, that's what makes the stand so terrifying as well is because it's not that far fetched. No, not at all. At at least the, the beginning premise is not that far fetched. It gets a little weird, a little crazy at the end, but for all we know, none of it's far fetched. We haven't been in that situation. That's true. That's true. Um, Brian says Salem's lot is the scariest. Uh, well, my brother says Salem's Lot is the scariest. Okay. Um, Yuda mm-hmm. says, I've read only 73 of his books. Uh, <laughs> only, only 73 <laughs> of his books. Okay. You're wild. I love you. Um, so the scariest might still be out there, but Gerald's Game creeped the hell out of me. Um, Gerald's Game, we found a lot of, uh, you know, it seems like when you, uh, 
reached out to people like Gerald's game is like one that pops up a lot. You hear it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, Gerald's Game is one of the few that I've only read one time because the premise of it really got to me. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't say that it's in my top five scariest because there were things about it that, you know, and, and I think because I was able to kind of detach myself from it a little bit. But the premise of Gerald's Game is it's pretty creepy. Um, and, and I can see why it would be terrifying for yeah, a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, Grover says, I find the more realistic stuff scarier. So I say the Green Mile has been the scariest I've read. It made me very anxious the whole time I was reading it. Um, I'm excited to get into the Green Mile. I've never read it. I haven't seen the movie. Um, but I know it's like just a universally like loved movie. So I'm yeah. excited to get into it. Uh, it's one of those exceptions from the loss from writing to visual media. Um, it was so beautifully made from the book to the movie that you know there i would say that they are at at the very least equal in my mind the book is as good as the movie and vice versa yeah absolutely um and then the final comment jake says if i really had to say now that i think about it misery really had me messed up for a bit i watched the movie before i read the book and i remember being disturbed for like a week after scary question mark not really, but it was disturbing. I I mean, I 100% agree with you. It's a, I think it's scary. I think that somebody just, you know, d- d- tied me down and then, like, uh, it broke my ankle or chopped off one of my legs. I would not be having a good time. I'd be very scared. Um, and just the idea of being in that situation is terrible. I don't know. Um, it's, it, it's really hard to quantify the scariest because there are so many aspects where they could be scary right and it's a matter of which one you it's it's i think scariest is very subjective that's the most subjective that we could get about it in fact you know is Mm -hmm. like which one do you think gives you this visceral emotion because i mean we all have different fears um I, I think, uh, you know, uh, it makes me been think I've been thinking about this now a lot, this uh, episode, while we've been going through this. And I think that, you know, next episode, I want to talk about this. What What is the first book you read by Steve? Um, you, you know, yours was uh, Christine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine was Misery. Um, and uh, who introduced you? You know, for me, it was Kim. And you have all have seen the entirety of my life being introduced to Stephen King. But Kim, who introduced you? And uh, don't tell us now, because we're going to do that next one. Because we're going to talk and about our next, it next time. Yeah, next time. Um, but I just posted this up on Facebook, too. Go in and look at our Facebook. Go find this post. What was your first book? Who introduced you? And do you blame them for your addiction? And how much do you blame them? Is it, is it 100% their fault that you've spent this much money on Stephen King books? Or do you own it? And do you recognize that it's a, it's a good problem to have? Um, other than that, Kim, do you have anything else you want to say? Um, how about if we ask our constant listeners what they're reading right now? Ooh, I'm that's save that good. one for the next No, one. I love that. We can ask that every week, I think. Yeah. What are you reading right now? Tell us what you're reading. And, and uh, I'll go post another Facebook post right now. What are you reading? What yes. are you Tell us what you're reading because, you know, there are going to be times that we both are going to want a, a break from the master. And so I like to know what other people are reading. That's how I find new books. 
Um, and as always, follow us on uh, Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, uh, follow us. One of the biggest things you could do right now to really help us out is uh, give us ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, right now, when you search Stephen King, we don't even pop up yet. Um, and we just got to start getting more populated into those. Um, so if you can steal your girlfriend's phone, steal your boyfriend's phone, steal your bi, uh, your non-binary uh, friend's phone, and take all of their phones together, and then all of you go like and review our podcast this week, we're going to at least get like 80 to 100 more reviews and likes. Yeah. Um, so help us out and uh that would be the the biggest call to action that we can uh, have for you right now and it would really help us a lot um also we have a patreon where we post uh you know uh, mostly it's been commentaries of tv shows and uh smaller episodes um but you do get all of our episodes a day early this episode will come out a day early there uh, all of the episodes uh, we're trying to make sure that they come out early there now that we're getting back into the groove of everything um and you can always email us if you have a question or you want to just talk to us about something. We're here for you. I know that sounds wild, but, you know, yeah. If message you need us on Facebook. And, and if you message our first time through page, don't put any spoilers in there because Otto hasn't read them. Yeah. And then, like, when I start to, like, if you say something about a book and then I'm like, oh, no, and then I don't read it. And I have to text Kim and be like, Kim, there's a message. I can't read it. Uh <laughs> And it just becomes a thing. So make sure that you're uh, as spoiler-free as you can for me, please. Unless it's something we've already talked about, in which case, spoil it up. Spoil everything. Spoil it, spoil up. it all. Let's have. Let's hear what you've got to say about it. Because if it's know, interesting like... enough, we'll revisit it in one of these bookmarks. That's the goal. Absolutely. Alrighty. Um, without further ado, um, this has been your placeholder for first time through New Eyes on Castle Rock. Um, this is your first bookmark. I'm trying to think of a good sign-off. Uh, don't forget to put your bookmark in your at your place because you'll be back here next week. No? Is that one good? No? Um, now that we've put a bookmark in it, make sure you come back next week for Eyes of the Dragon. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our bookmark for Eyes of the Dragon, just so you are aware, is set right at the edge of uh, end of chapter 40. Um, and you know what? I'm just going to spoil the news now. Kim, I actually accidentally read to the end of chapter 47. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, <That's okay. laughs> I was just reading and then I didn't pay attention to the page numbers and then it was 30 then minutes like, later oh, no. and then I was like, oh, I need to stop now. So join us next week for Eyes of the Dragon and we are so incredibly happy that we know you. Have a good day. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash firsttimethrough to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.